This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg. Coming up in the second half of today's show, the mission of Youth for Christ. But we are going to start today with the recent Poetry Out Loud event. This is where students competed in their schools and went on to represent their schools on a state level. Reciting Poetry Director of Radio Bill Thomas is a judge, has been for many years. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's always fun to talk about this event. It's just very pleasurable. So about a dozen and a half of students and just refresh our listeners' uh, memories. They have to recite from memory, correct? Right, right. They pick three poems uh, and they do two rounds of two and then they – and yes, they have to recite them from memory. They are poems selected by the Poetry Foundation, so they didn't write them themselves. And then there's five finalists selected who – go and, and compete in the final round. Are there occasionally new additions added to that book? That yeah, it's turning from? over all the time. Okay, excellent. Well, what did you think of this year's competition and how did it compare? Oh, you know, uh, I you know, have this long perspective. COVID years. And yeah, yeah, the COVID years were very weird. But overall, it has gotten better every year. Excellent. I think the teachers who are key to this because they coach the students um, have just, you know, learned there's always, of course, new teachers coming in, but there's a general body that, that's got the feel for this thing and have really coached the students to recite yeah. so well. Yeah. Well, that really makes a huge difference uh, of just really getting the emotion, understanding the tone of the poem and even when to take that sort of pregnant pause. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things as judges, we're given like, fairly defined criteria to judge on. And one of them is evidence of understanding. Mm -hmm. Well, give us who came out on top of this evidence of understanding. Okay, this this is Gabby Johnson from Minot, from Minot High School, uh, Gabrielle. And uh, I'll let her introduce herself. I said, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself. (laughs) I... hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Got to think about that one. Well, one thing people can't see on the radio is your hair, which is uh, remarkable and oh, spectacular. So. <laughs> that is one thing about me. I love expression, for real. I love doing my hair. I do all types of hairstyles. Like, I've seen some of these people at the poetry competition. They're like, I've seen you before. I'm like, yeah, I had pink hair that time. <laughs> I think I've had every hair color um, before. And I like I feel, I'm a very expressive person, so I've got like all types of jewelry on me, and I like doing art and poetry. Like I said, I may not be able to write songs, but I can write poetry, and it's just expressing myself. And I do that through competitive speech, through the pieces I pick, and art, and even the way the things that I do. Oh, I do music. I like I'm in bands. So I play the clarinet and. I love, oh, I love, because I've traveled a lot and seen a lot, I love learning, like, geography and culture, learning about other people. I love doing that. I love learning languages, too. I'm really on my Spanish right now. I love it. Um, and I can speak. And my mom, she's Filipino, so I've lived in the Philippines for some time, and that's really cool to just see the world differently, like, living in the Philippines, Southeast Asia, and then coming to the United States. It's like, whoa. Culture is is crazy, and the way people can be so different but still the same is crazy. Like, I'm learning things, you know, North Dakota when I was, like, when I found out we were moving there. Because I lived in Arkansas before, and I was like, what's in Arkansas? (laughs) Um, A lot of things, really cool. And then when I was moving to North Dakota, I was like, what's in North Dakota? And I moved up here, and I was like, it's nothing. It's like snow, the plains, like, what? But I live I live in Minot, and they have the Norsk Fest every year, and seeing everyone get super, like, just happy about their culture and their heritage, I thought that was really cool, and I love learning about that. And so I went to the Norsk Fest, and I was like, wow, I really love how people know where they're from, and, like, the foods, like, hot dish and Nefla soup, you know? I never had Nefla soup, and they were like, what? You've never had Nefla soup? You need to go to Kroll's Diner right now. <laughs> And I've had it, so it's pretty good. (laughs) 
I love it. Love learning about other people, and that's kind of what I like too about um, being the military and, and moving a lot. I just see different things and really adding this to my experience, and that's why I love express it, expressing myself and learning how other people express themselves. <laughs> I love her, and I am going to remember this name as somebody to pay attention to yeah. um, because I think that level of expression, she's going to go places. You know, she mentioned that whole, oh, there's just just snow. But it sounds like she learned to embrace yes. it and even yes. did a poem on what it is to be from here. Yeah, this is the, her first poem, and uh, well, we'll just let her tell the title. Ode to the Midwest. By Kevin Young. The country I come from is called the Midwest. Bob Dylan. I want to be doused in cheese and fried. I want to wander the aisles, my heart supermarket, stocked high as cholesterol. I want to die wearing a sweatsuit. I want to live forever in a Christmas sweater, a teddy bear nursing off the front. I want to write a check in the express lane. I want to scrape my driveway clean early myself before anyone's awake. That'll put them to shame. I want to see what the sun sees before it tells the snow to go. I want to be the only black person I know. I want to throw out my back and not complain about it. I want to drive two blocks. Why walk? I want love and stuff. I want to cut my sutures myself. I want to jog down to the river and make it my bed. I want to walk its muddy banks and make me a withdrawal. I tried jumping in. Found it frozen. I'll go home, I guess to my rooms where the moon changes and shines like television. Wow. Yeah. Did not see that coming. <laughs> in just, in, in less than two and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, this, this is such a wonderful uh, contest to judge and to see these performances. And now, it's interesting. I asked her about how she chose that poem and, um, you know, why, why she picked that one. Why'd she like it? And uh, here's what she had to say. So it sounds like uh, you're, you take a lot of care in the selection of the poems that you use. You don't just go like, oh, this is a good one. A lot of people like, I'll do that. <laughs> Tell me about picking your poems. Picking them. Hmm. <laughs> well, how about let's start with Ode to the Midwest. Ode to the Midwest. What did you like? What spoke to you about that one? I I went on the website and I clicked under, I think it was satire and humor category because I, I like, I'm kind of, I, I like funny things. <laughs> so I picked it and I was reading at first and I was like, man, the doused in cheese, you know, I've, um, I've moved a lot. My dad's in the military, so I've been a lot. And this is the most Midwest I've ever been. I lived in Minnesota, but it was in the city, so it wasn't super, you know, hot dish Midwest. I learned what hot dish was this year, actually. Wow. <laughs> so reading it, I was like, yeah, this is really Midwestern. This kind of speaks to me. And then as I was reading more of it, um, it real it spoke to me because it was funny at first, but then there's a shift in the poem, and it, you realize that something isn't right, and it's like, oh, the Midwest is funny, but why is it serious at the end? And then going back with the people that helped me and coached me through this and really analyzing it, 
I really related to it because while it is satirical and funny and it talks about, you know, things about the Midwest like cheese and sweatsuits and scraping your driveway clean, that one, it also does talk about other things. Like one of the lines that speaks to me is, I want to be the only black person I know. And that that's that's why I was like, I want to do this one because – yeah, the Midwest is cool and it's got a lot, but there's some of the things where it's not a lot for other people like me. And so I find that in a lot, especially living in Minot and North Dakota in general, I find myself being the only black person there. Like this year, I was the only black person at the competition and at my speech meets. Normally, I'm the only black person there. And I just think that message of like, sometimes in the Midwest, you feel like it's not built for you. And so it gets kind of like lonely. And so at the end, the author tries to leave the Midwest, but realizes they can't and they just kind of feel defeated. But I don't feel defeated. I think that's why I chose my poem order. I chose that one first because it shows haha funny, but defeated, which is usually my second piece, which is kind of like talking about the issues and then my third piece, which is, ends on a more optimistic note. I never really thought about the order in which poems are presented and how that would impact sort of how you show how much you understand something and this yeah. ability to to look at a place and and celebrate the good things like cheese, but also to expose these really hard truths. Yeah, like yeah. What no, it it's like a musician set list, and uh, yeah. it uh, it can really it's change the way you you feel the poems. Yeah, so. so I asked her if she were talking to another student about Poetry Out Loud, what would she say that you'd get out of it? What really, what I like about it is inspiring other people. It sounds really like general, but to me, like when I was a runner up and I and I watched last year, the girl who got... Um, who won last year. Her poems really spoke to me. She did a piece, it's called Bilingual, and it talks about how growing up she um, only really spoke English and didn't really speak Spanish, and it was kind of that internal, like, conflict of, you know, my culture and then fitting in with America and things like that. And, like, just listening to it, it really spoke to me and resonated with me, like, coming um, from a different culture and then coming to the U.S. and even moving within the U.S. to different cultures. I was like, yeah, that that one really – and I still – it still speaks to me because I'm talking about it right now. Like, it just really inspired me. And so to be able to do that for other people, to be able to – express myself for the people who can't and when they're sitting in that room and they hear you and it's like you're speaking to them it really is a it's a wonderful thing and so for that to happen to me and to be able to do that to other people is great and that's why not just for poetry out loud but for anything I'm always down to express myself for the people who can't because I my name is Gabby. The literal definition is excessive, <laughs> excessive amount of talking. I'll talk <laughs> like any time of the day. And so to be able to do that, but also inspire people in different mediums is just it's it's what's great. And what I like about poetry out loud and just anything in general like that. I am just loving how she is thoughtful, articulate, but still so full of joy. Yeah, and spontaneous. Yes. yes. Her third poem, and this is the one where she kind of felt like she rounded it off on a kind of a note of uplift. Uh, and this is one, in the contest, they require that you pick one older poem. So this is her older poem. It's from before 1900. Songs for the People by Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Let me make the songs for the people. Songs for the old and young. Songs to stir like a battle cry wherever they are sung. Not for the clashing of sabers, for carnage, nor for strife, but songs to thrill the hearts of men with more abundant life. 
Let me make the songs for the weary amid life's fever and fret till heart shall relax their tension and careworn brows forget. Let me sing for little children before their footsteps stray. Sweet anthems of love and duty to float over life's highway. I would sing for the poor and aged when shadows dim their sight of the bright and restful mansions where there shall be no night. Our world, so worn and weary, needs music pure and strong to hush the sorrow and hush and jangles of sorrow, pain, and wrong. Music to soothe all its sorrow till war and crime shall cease and the hearts of men grown tender, girdle the world with peace. To be that young and to still have such depth of understanding, that is the voice of Gabby Johnson. She is this year's winner of the North Dakota Poetry Out Loud competition held recently in Bismarck. It is a collaboration between the National Poetry Foundation and locally the North Dakota Council on the Arts and Humanities, ND. And you can watch Gabby perform those poems coming up during Prairie Mosaic. That episode will air Thursday, April 6th at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. We're visiting today with Director of Radio Bill Thomas, who was a judge at the competition. Bill, there are also special guests at this, sometimes musicians, and in this case, a poet and yeah. North Dakota native. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, they have a variety of people that they bring in. This year it was Deborah Marquardt. Uh, and many people may know her. We've she's had her on the show. She's had been on the show a few times. She's from Napoleon, North Dakota, and uh, she has been at the University of Iowa since uh, early '90s, I think. But uh, and she's she, Iowa's poet laureate. She is the poet laureate of Iowa, though she keeps saying she said, "I wonder if they're going to like take back the check because I talk about North Dakota so much," <laughs> uh, and. Uh, here is uh, – so she, so she came up and she presented and she sang some songs because she's a musician. Uh, but she also performed some of her poetry. And uh, here is one about kind of a, you know, a Midwest winter night in the natural world and, and who we live with and everything. She explains a little bit that it's um, from, a, from a new book. I have um, a new book of poems coming out sometime this – late winter, early spring from NDSU Press. They were good enough to publish my essay collection the night we landed on the moon and, um, and la- last year. And so now I have a new and collected poems, which is all three of my poetry collections put together into one volume along with a, a grouping of new poems. And so I thought I would read one of the new poems that's in that book. And um, it's actually the title poem, and it's called Gratitude with Dogs Under Stars. And, um, you know, I mean, if you have dogs, you maybe know exactly what this is about because Mm -hmm. dogs get you outside in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night, to places you would really rather not go. But what it does is it, you know, it gives you the gift of um, seeing things that you wouldn't otherwise see. So that's kind of what this poem is about. Gratitude with Dogs Under Stars. Bless this night. Bless the small bladders of dogs, urgent under moonlight. Bless Raccoon and her brothers, those masked 3 a.m. bandits who lowered themselves on branches of viburnum with their eerie five-fingered hands into the dumpster, who scavenged melon rinds, burger wrappers, who tossed oily tuna cans to the pavement with a chime that pricked the ears of my sleeping Lhasa Apsos. These litter mates bred to guard monasteries, who have warned me awake, bless their low roof and wine, 
and even bless the scramble for boots, coats, leashes, propelled into this obsidian night, under indigo skies, crisp exhale puffed into clouds. Above us, velvety stillness, serious, a twinkling beacon in a stippled southern sky. Castor and Pollux, those star twins, throwing their geminid tracers, scattershot pinpricks of radiance into darkness. Above us, this afterimage of ancient supernovas, billions of years, violent light moving toward us. Let us witness their brilliance going. From this blessed place on earth, we fortunate mortals on the ground, living amongst terrestrials, who sniff and paw the dirt, who kick back their legs and growl at the darkness, while above us so much deadly light to wish upon. I was thinking about, you know, how long it takes light, the light of stars, um, to, to reach us here on Earth and the idea that, you know, there's trouble out there in the world and there's trouble coming toward us, but there are also moments when we just have to stand in the, the darkness and the, and the sometimes brilliance of it and just appreciate just the, how, how incredibly lucky we are to be alive. Deborah Marquardt from Napoleon, North Dakota, Poet Laureate of Iowa, who was at the Poetry Out Loud contest this year in Bismarck. And to finish off, we have one more poem from her. It's also a newer one. It's going in another new book that she's talking about. And uh, this one relates to being from North Dakota. Well, I have this new poem, and I actually only wrote this about a week ago, but I've already read it, you know, to an audience. So, you know, you always, I always wonder, you know, am I being foolish by reading something so new? But this is from a new book that I'm working on right now. I don't have any plans to publish it or anything like that soon, but um, it really is about this idea of North Dakota being my home ground and my heart home, and it's called I Return. I return to the state of my birth in haste as one rushes to the scene of an accident or the bedside of a dying lover or mother, no matter how estranged by absence, years, and grievance, no matter how tangled and fraught the ties, pulled back by filial bonds, attachment stitched into my fibers by long-ago kisses, fingertip touches, ancient strokes of hair, and the long-gone sound of my grandparents' gold laughter. Unbreakable threads tie me to this place, where first faces of kindness taught me survival in this strange world where I landed, where we all land, naked, wet, and hungry. Marked by this place in my skin, just like the story told to me, by an older woman who survived a childhood fire. She had long hair and a cotton dress, she said, and she backed up too close to the cook's stove, the open flame. And when the fire grabbed her backside, her mother threw her to the ground and batted out the flames with her hands, burned her own skin, cauterized the flames with her fingertips. Ever since then, all my life, the woman says, as she lifts her shirt to show me, my mother's fingerprints are on me. And so it is with me and this, my home ground, that reared me. The water I drank from this ground source, every molecule and pore, a sympathetic ocean, every ripple, every fire and explosion felt, even across great time and distance even across the silences. You know, Deb always reminds me of the phrase, home is a state of mind. Hmm. Yeah. 
That was Iowa's Poet Laureate, Deb Marquardt. She was a special guest at the recent North Dakota Poetry Out Loud competition. Stay tuned to Main Street in the next few weeks for more highlights from Director of Radio and a judge at the event, Bill Thomas. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Still to come on Main Street, Youth for Christ. But first, this news. For Prairie Public, I'm Danielle Webster. The North Dakota House has passed a measure to allow patients on medical marijuana to receive 6,000 milligrams of THC within a 30-day period. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, is 6,000 milligrams of THC going to make you high as a kite? And the answer is, it's only an incremental increase. Currently, we allow 4,000 milligrams. Bismarck Republican Representative Brandon Pritchard told the House some patients can get by with microdosing, but most can't. He said there are well-respected cancer and pain protocols that recommend doses of up to a gram per day, with a limit of six in a 30-day period. This bill would help qualified medical users get the medical marijuana that they need. The House vote on Senate Bill 2068 was 77 to 16. Because medical marijuana was an initiated measure, both chambers needed two-thirds votes to make that change. The Senate passed it 33 to 14, and it now goes to Governor Burgum. Portions of North Dakota are in for even more snow accumulation once again today, and after a break on Friday, snow will return for the third time this week. Mindy Behrens is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Grand Forks. She says today a system is pushing its way into southern North Dakota, south of I-94. She says up to three inches could be possible with this system before it ends late tonight. Friday will be quiet until the late evening when yet another system will arrive and spread across a lot of northern North Dakota and the Red River Valley. Buren says accumulations are hard to pinpoint right now, but more snow is expected with this system. Definite accumulations, we're, we're still working on those numbers. It does look like the majority of the area could see, um, has a high, high ch- chance of seeing uh, six inches or greater of snow um, at this time, still fine-tuning any areas that could be um, higher than that. Buren says steady snow accumulation may persist throughout Sunday and gusty winds will more than likely make travel difficult. And Moorhead High School is assuring that every student graduating this year will have a chance to walk the stage with their peers. Underprivileged students who could not afford caps and gowns are getting help from the community. Here's Moorhead School Support Facilitator Lindsay Cassette. It shows them that there's people in our community and in our school that care about them and that these hidden barriers that oftentimes we might not recognize unless it's brought up because of a relationship, um, it's removing those hidden barriers. The school's uh, support facilitator and behavior interventionist, Megan Lundberg, stepped up by reaching out to Jostens to request more caps and gowns. They only needed a few, but will end up with nearly a dozen thanks to generous donors. I think it's giving dignity and worth to all of our students and giving them a chance to recognize their accomplishments and do that with pride and and not feeling um, like maybe they weren't worth it. Moorhead seniors will pick up their caps and gowns next month. For Prairie Public, I'm Danielle Webster. Support for Prairie Public is provided by Josh Boche, broker and realtor with Hatch Realty, brokered by Real. Serving homebuyers and sellers in the Fargo-Moorhead Metro, Grand Forks, Bismarck, Mandan, and Detroit Lakes area. Josh can be reached at 701-369-4839 or hatchrealty.com. This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine. Youth for Christ is a Christian organization that operates under a set of core beliefs and values that inform their approach to youth ministry. Here to discuss Youth for Christ and its work here in North Dakota are Greg Everett, the Executive Director of Youth for Christ here in Fargo. Greg, welcome. Thank you. And also with us is my airplane friend, Sean Patterson. Sean is the Director of Youth for Christ in Grand Forks. Sean, welcome. Thank you very much. And we met on a plane. Sean, and I want to start with you um, about how all this came together. You and I were sitting with each other on a flight back from Denver a couple weeks ago, and you started telling me about Youth for Christ. What is it? Youth for Christ is a a relational evangelistic uh, movement and and organization. So we work with 11 to 19-year-olds. That's our target audience. And what we want to do is we want to engage in a relationship with young people so that they become uh, Christ followers. So we partner with a local church and like-minded partners, and that's how we do our mission. Greg, when and where was Youth for Christ founded? What's its history? And you've had a long history with Youth for Christ. Yeah, I've been involved for about 15 years. So Youth for Christ uh, was established about 1944. 
um, Youth for Christ actually started out doing youth rallies um, in Canada, through the U.S. and, and, and Europe. And so it really it started as a movement of, of big I guess, stadium events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Billy Graham was one of the first uh, full-time members of uh, the staff. And so they would do these big events. And then eventually it got so, hey, we would like to be able to follow up with these kids. And so the movement uh, became smaller in terms of uh, different chapters and, and such. And now Youth for Christ, I mean, Youth for Christ International, it's an international missionary movement, is involved in over 100 countries right here in the U.S. We've got good 121 chapters, I believe it is. And the two here in North Dakota, are those the two? Or are there more? No, there are actually more. We have a sister chapter in Jamestown. We have a sister chapter in Minot. And then we have a chapter all the way out in the western part of the state in Williston. If you were to tell me what your mission is or your core values, and I'll let each of you pop in with this one, what would you tell me? What is it that you want to accomplish? Ultimately, because we believe that trusting Jesus is the best way to go um, with kids. We'd love to see kids in relationship with Jesus. Um, But at the same time, what we want to do is we want to build relationships with kids, get to know their story, share our story, and connect them to God's story. And that's a journey. And so some of that happens very practically by meeting practical needs, whether that's feeding kids, clothing kids, uh, helping them with with some of those practical things. It could be tutoring. It could be mentoring. Um, One-on-one small groups. I mean, there's, there's such a journey in all of that, and we get kids at various stages of those journeys. Sean, I would respond that, boy, isn't that the parent's role to really guide their children in their relationship with with Christ or in their church relationship? But oftentimes you reach out to kids that are more at risk. Is that true? That is correct. And a lot of times they come from broken homes. So what we would think in a traditional family is non-existent. So we become the fathers, we become the brothers, we become the grandfathers, uh, we become friends. Those are the kinds of roles that we play in a kid's life, but that's a very important thing because, again, we're not, we're not necessarily chasing after a kid that uh, has uh, you know, a, a full family that is fully in, involved in a local church. We're looking at kids on, this, on the uh, at-risk, on the edge those are the kids that uh, we want to uh, ensure have the goodness of life and, and, and hope. So, Greg, how do you learn about who those kids are? <laughs> you know, quite honestly, um, j- just by the nature of, of who we're serving. So, for instance, um, we're involved in the juvenile detention center here uh, in uh, Cass Clay County. And so you're dealing with a group of kids that, for the most part, are struggling. They've gotten into trouble. Uh, Some of those kids actually in the center are um, with shelter care. So that's emergency placement. Uh, So they've been removed from their homes for various reasons. The idea is that it's supposed to be temporary, but you wouldn't believe how many of those kids are in there long term because there's no placements for them. Uh, Or it's in the alternative schools where kids who are struggling in school uh, for various reasons, uh, we'll come alongside them. Um, but, I mean, even mainstream schools, you've got kids that are struggling. And so uh, we started new in uh, Liberty Middle School, and we're mentoring some kids there. And, you know, the school's kind of handpicking some kids that they're struggling in life in, in for various reasons, whether that's maybe there's been a death in the family or or there's – uh, discipline issues or, or whatever. And so we just, we, we come alongside these kids. We don't go, hey, are you struggling? So we'll deal with you. I mean, we'll work with any kid, but it just, a lot of the times it's the ones that others kind of set to the side. and Falling through the cracks. So yes, exactly. And Craig, yeah, let so. me just add that uh, we go where kids are. That is our mission. We don't wait for kids to come to us. Yeah. So our volunteers, our staff members are always out going to a, a game, going to an after-school activity, going somewhere where they're going to purposefully engage with kids in that 11 to 19-year range. And that's what we do. So we find kids at all of those events. We find them walking in the street. We find them at a local uh, uh, skateboard park. 
a question I think I need to ask. Why should officials, why should parents trust you? We've heard in the news at times when some folks have violated that trust with young people. Of course. Why should they trust Youth for Christ and specifically what you do here in North Dakota? Personally, I feel like trust has to be earned. And I think we work hard to do that. I mean, of course, when it comes to um, the safety things, YFC has extensive background checks, I mean, that we run through most of the schools. So it, for, for instance, it, juvenile justice. So we run through our YFC's background checks and all of that kind of stuff. But then we have to go through the facilities background checks, you know, which are super extensive. A lot of the schools, I mean, man, I think in the last – six months, I've probably been through three different national background checks Mm -hmm. just to be involved in school and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's still a matter of building trust. You know, uh, schools, facilities, teachers have to see us engaging with kids, showing up on a regular basis. I mean, I tell my volunteers, this is a job. So, I mean, if we're not going to be there, we we call. We're saying we're not going to – you know, it's it's that daily trust that has to be earned. Um, so you do what you can in terms of the all the legal stuff, but at the same time, we also have to, I, I think, personally earn that trust. We're visiting with Greg Everett, the executive director of Youth for Christ in Fargo, and also Sean Patterson, the director of Youth for Christ in Grand Forks. Give me a deeper sense of the programs, Sean, and I'll start with you, that Youth for Christ offers. What do you do? Well, certainly uh, we have uh, several core ministries within Youth for Christ. One of those, as uh, Greg and, uh, has been speaking about, is a juvenile justice ministry. So that's where we go and we work in a local uh, juvenile uh, justice system in a detention center of sorts. And then we'll provide uh, whatever that kid needs. Uh, we may provide some kind of Bible study. We may provide some kind of just uh, prayer. We might uh, just uh, sit and talk with a young man or, or lady or play a game. It's, it's about uh, developing that relationship. So that's one of our core ministries. How do you approach a young person for the first time? What do you say? Really, uh, what I always do is, uh, and what I always say personally is, hey, I know the guy across the table from you, you don't know. And uh, it looked kind of strange, but I'll tell you what, I want to get to know you, and uh, so let me introduce myself. So I, you know, I, I go through a process where I introduce myself, and then I give them an opportunity to introduce them, them so that I know who is sitting across the table from me. I'm guessing that a lot of the people you visit with have never had a church relationship of any kind. Is that accurate? You, in some ways, I'd say yes and, and no. It's amazing how many of the kids that we interact with, um, it, it's been a, 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 gra- a lot of times, it's, it's a grandparent or, or such that at some point brought them to church or you know, brought them to Sunday school or, or introduced them to, to something uh, spiritual of that nature. How many people do you serve? Uh, here in Fargo, we're probably dealing with 100 plus kids a week uh, on a regular basis. Sean, a little smaller in Grand Forks? It, it is, but uh, we're anywhere between 50 to 75 on a given week. And if there's somebody who is listening that wonders whether Youth for Christ might be able to help their young person, their grandchild, their niece or nephew, what should they do? Well, um, if they're in the Fargo area, they can uh, reach out to us at uh, redriveryfc.com. That's our website. They can check us out there. They can give us a call, 701-237-6682. And Sean? Yeah, up in the Grand Forks area, they can go to gfyfc.org, or they can uh, make a phone call to 701-203-1928. And someone listening in Bismarck, Minot, or Jamestown can Google their local chapter and find that same information. How are you funded? Well, we are a missionary organization, so we are funded by the generosity um, and and goodness of individuals, people, businesses. Um, you know, we also do some fundraisers. Uh, both of our chapters uh, sell Colorado peaches in the summer, which is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> 
crazy big deal. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, plus, you know, there are other things. There's Giving Hearts Day, which just happened, which uh, we were a part of. We also do a fall concert for a cause. Uh, I believe Sean's got a banquet coming up. That's right. Uh, on April 3rd, uh, up at uh, in Grand Forks at the Alaris Center, we're going to do our annual um, banquet fundraiser. And we have a keynote speaker. His name is David Budaya. He's a, an Olympic gold medal diver. That's uh, going to to come and uh, share uh, his uh, experience and and how God has changed his life and and really led to his success. What or how I guess do you measure whether you've been successful in what you do? How do you understand whether or not what you're doing is is good? Other than I hope it's good. The analogy that I think of is kind of like a. I, I, it hit me one time. It's kind of like a, a light bulb, um, the idea of this a glow. Because the reality is we get kids for various lengths of time. And when we see those, you know, sometimes a kid may come to us and they're – maybe the, the bulb is a little dim. And But then as we build relationships, we spend time with them, we might hear from a teacher, you know what? so-and-so is, is talking differently or they're treating their uh, classmates differently. Um, parent may go, wow, you know, something's going on because my, my kid is acting differently, talking differently, those kind of things. So, you know, ultimately, again, it, it could be full life change. It, it could be just those little tiny steps of making a difference. Um, so I, I don't know that there's one specific sure. – you know, hey, Not metric. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I'd love to. to a couple of things that I see is one, obviously, uh, you know, we we like to uh, see kids uh, make a decision to be a Christ follower. So we can use that as a metric if we really wanted to. But uh, more to what Greg was saying, um, I, I I get um, great satisfaction and great feedback when a parent or even a, a student uh, will come up to me after they graduate and say. You know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be able to go on to that next level or I wouldn't be able you know, looking to 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 start a career or do something of that nature. And that uh, personally happened to me just this past uh, this past uh, year uh, when a young person and a mom at a graduation party said that exact same thing, but at two different times throughout that party mm-hmm. independently. So that's how I know that we're making a difference. Give me an idea of the leadership structure. This is a international working group with local chapters. What's the leadership structure of Youth for Christ? Well, there's the Youth for Christ International, and then each country, of course, has their own um, – like there's a Canadian Youth for Christ. There's the Youth for Christ uh, YFC. Each, I believe, um, has a president who kind of oversees – Everything, but you know what? We're not really a we're we're not a top down uh, heavy organization. Each local each local chapter is locally governed by their boards. And perhaps operated a little bit differently than yes. There, there's kind of like we have a basic framework, but then within that, based on the or the community you're in and, and the kids you're working with, there's freedom within that framework. And, and that's interesting because uh, not everyone uh, has a juvenile detention center handy or right next to them where they're able to do that ministry. So then we uh, – our, our ministry, our, our chapters are all different. They're specific to our um, our communities. And that's the great uh, strength of, of Youth for Christ because it's aimed at where the community needs to reach kids. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Is it ever the case where there's a child-parent conflict – I know that in many families, parents and children, as they are aging, may not share the same religious views. Has that ever happened in what, what it is that you are doing? Hmm. I'm surprised if that answer is no, quite frankly. It, it certainly uh, – we've seen it. Um, you know, we, we, we don't force our – beliefs on any one. And you're um, not affiliated with any particular church either. That's correct. That correct. We're a non-denominational. Yeah, non-denominational, mm-hmm. which, you know what, I've actually had principals have said to me, you know, one of the reasons why we are able to have you in our school is because by having you in, we're not endorsing any one particular uh, church. Um, 
but yeah, there there have been times where you know kids have wanted to be involved, and a parent because of their beliefs have said no. But at the same time, for instance, I've had Muslim parents who have come to me and just have said thank you for loving my kid. You know, because I think ultimately, what what any parent wants is for their kid to be loved and heard and understood. And to me, that is is a huge deal. Well, just last week, it's interesting. I had a parent, uh, you know, and I sat down uh, with a parent for about an hour and a half. And this parent uh, knew who Jesus was, was a uh, Christ follower. Uh, and she so desperately wanted her son to be that. Now, when I've had a chance to, to meet with this young man and a conversation in our facility, um, over two hours, uh, we just sat there and, and chatted, and he was clearly atheist, or he, he stated he was atheist. So it was really interesting to, to see that. So a lot of times what we find is that parents might come to us uh, asking for some help. How do you, how do you uh, get this uh, young person to, to think differently or at least engage them in a conversation? Uh, because I think a lot of times uh, that parent-student, uh, parent-child relationship, uh, although it's great, uh, sometimes it's unable to bridge those gaps and they're unable to really uh, talk about some of those challenging issues. So for us to be able to enter into that uh, discussion or enter into that conversation, uh, they look uh, look at us as, as, a, as a help, as a way to – to you know, maybe tear down some walls and begin to push forward. Each of you has a very small staff, but volunteers are really important to what you do. Expand on that. <clears throat> you know what? Volunteers are, I mean, if you had to survive on just trying to pay people to do everything, you'd be in trouble. Um, volunteers are key to what we do. And, uh, you know, the, the cool thing is that you can have volunteers of any age. Um, two of my best volunteers are uh, two young ladies who retired in the last few years who I, both of them would state, I have found my calling in life since I retired. And they you know, worked for a particular company for years and years and years. But they, both of them, they, they go into the detention center and they just love on girls. Do you offer training? We do. Uh, we'll, we'll train our volunteers. Um, uh, that, that's an important part of what we do is being able to uh, train them and, and they'll, there's YFC-specific training and then we'll also do specific training to issues that maybe kids are dealing with uh, these days. Leads to my next question and I'm curious, how has YFC changed? How do you adapt to current day um, needs because needs today are different than in the 40s when the organization began? One of the uh, old sayings uh, in Youth for Christ is anchored to the rock, geared for the times. And what we try to do is, uh, again, uh, we, we're always presenting the truth. And what we find it, biblically is the truth. That is our rock. That's uh, what keeps us uh, you know, focused. Now, how we deliver that changes based upon, you know, the technology that's uh, now prevalent uh, with every kid who, who uh, has a, you know, a smartphone uh, in their pocket. You know, so now we use Instagram as a way to reach out to them or we use social media as, uh, as we can in a positive way. So basically, it, it doesn't make a difference uh, whether, you know, we're uh, reading out of a book or now uh, using a PowerPoint slideshow presentation, it, it's really, uh, it's mocks Nick's in, in that sense. It's been a pleasure to me to visit with you both. Youth for Christ exists in Williston, in Minot, in Jamestown, in Bismarck, in Grand Forks, and here in Fargo. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on Main Street. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Craig. Look forward to flying with you again someday. I'll look forward to that, too. Dakota Daybook is next. Sleepy Hollow Theater and Arts Park presents Magical Singing Nights with Job Christensen and guest artists on Friday, March 10th at 7 p.m. at Gallery 522 in downtown Bismarck. Enjoy an evening of music and a great atmosphere, with proceeds going to help Sleepy Hollow continue to bring Broadway-style summer theater to Bismarck. More information and reservations can be found online at shtap.org or by calling 701-319-0894.
We'd like to thank the North Dakota Council on the Arts for supporting arts programming here on Prairie Public. This is Dakota Datebook for March 9th. Today, we offer you a sampling of musicians from far and wide who have performed in North Dakota. Perhaps you'll remember some. Duke Ellington and his orchestra played the Crystal Ballroom in Fargo in 1940. The concert is considered one of his greatest live recordings and is a jazz classic. On this date, in 1974, Three Dog Night played the Bismarck Civic Center. The band reportedly drew a larger crowd than the North Dakota State Class A High School Basketball Tournament's championship game, which was happening at the same time in Fargo. More than 8,000 people attended the concert. It was also the first time the Civic Center was filled to capacity after the recent installation of more than 1,600 balcony seats. As an encore, Three Dog Night performed their hit, Joy to the World. Country singer Charlie Pride performed several times in North Dakota, including his three concerts in Bismarck in the 1970s. More than 4,700 people attended his Civic Center concert in 1974, his second in the capital city. Pride dedicated his performance of Kiss an Angel Good Morning to a man from Wing, North Dakota, who had recently donated a kidney to his niece. Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, who recorded their hit duet Islands in the Stream in 1983, each performed in North Dakota during their heydays. Parton performed in 1978 at the Minot City Auditorium for 3,380 people. Her concert included the songs Jolene, Coat of Many Colors, Me and Little Andy, and Heartbreaker, a single from her latest album at the time. At a press conference earlier that day, the city council president gave Parton a plaque designating her as an honorary citizen of Minot. Kenny Rogers performed at the Bismarck Civic Center in 1983. 8,000 fans, some from as far away as Winnipeg. Rogers performed for less than an hour, but his repertoire included Lucille, The Gambler, and Lady. One eager fan tripped on a cable breaking her foot, but she still climbed the steps to her seat in the bleachers. She stayed for the entire show before seeking medical help. Today's Dakota Date Book is written by Jack Dura. I'm Merrill Pepcorn. Dakota Date Book is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota, with funding by Humanities North Dakota, North Dakota's largest lifelong learning community. And that's a wrap for this edition of Main Street. Remember, you can hear past Main Street episodes at prairiepublic.org, and you can show your support for Prairie Public there as well. Tomorrow, News Director Dave Thompson will stop by to discuss the latest from the legislature and other highlights from this week's news, and we'll share excerpts from the Great American Folk Show as we'll learn how to make a great stew. Plus, Madeline joins us for an extended movie conversation as he reviews After Sun, a coming-of-age drama, and our resident movie expert will preview Sunday's Academy Awards. Who's Matt saying will be the big winners? Thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow on Main Street. <laughs>